Okay, so Faye, do you want to tell me where we are right now? So we are huddled in a corner around the corner from the Bridge Theatre and we are going to see The Book of Dust, La Belle Sauvage. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Oh my God, I'm very excited. I actually really have no idea what to expect because I haven't looked at any like press photos, I haven't looked at anything at all. Uh, Rachel stood across from me right now. It feels like she's interviewing me for BBC News. I am. So we've got ourselves a very exciting outdoor-sounding recorder. <laughs> so you get to have some like live feedback. So what we're doing right now is yes. this is our little pre-record. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Faye what she is expecting, potentially. And yes. then at the interval, we're going to try and pop out again to record because yes. obviously we don't want to have the recorder in the theatre that mm-hmm. would be a bad um, and say what we thought after the first uh-huh. half if we can get out and then we're going to come out afterwards and record our like immediate reactions after the show yes. so yes. yes I think that the puppetry will be amazing yes I think that will be a definite um, I have no idea because like most of the book is set on water I don't yeah. know how they're going to do that and how they're going to make that look good um, but I yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. Like, And it's such a big book as well to try and get into one play. Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff to deal mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i trying to think how much I actually remember from the book. And the yeah. answer is not as much as I think, not because there's lot. lots of sections to it, and it's a really thick book. There's a lot, we were saying before we started recording this, that there's a lot of kind of like heavy themes in the book as well that I'm mm. wondering like how they're going to deal with. I'm sure they'll deal with it in, in you know the best way that they can. But yeah, I'm definitely wondering about that yeah. I'm excited because <laughs> the what little I have seen of the staging is that it is at the moment I saw a cheeky tweet from somebody that went tweet. last night that posted a picture <laughs> that was the stage is just very plain and yeah. black and I'm very excited to see what they bring onto that what yeah. they've done with that to make it mm-hmm. um to build that boat and stuff mm-hmm. I went to see the life of Pi a couple of years ago I think just before the pandemic and that's very similarly a majority of it is set on a boat so yes. I wonder if they'll have used similar stage tricks interesting um yeah. yeah very excited I love I love a good like production I love uh you know when you can't tell how something's been done so um, yeah hopefully there's gonna be some tricks <laughs> yeah <laughs> some stagey tricks that I will <laughs> like but yeah looking forward to it yeah. And this concludes our interview for BBC News. Yes. <laughs> so weird you just did a crossword. I know, sorry. It's the fact that I'm holding the big fluffy microphone, isn't it? So we're going to go into the theatre now yes. and get ourselves a nice little beverage to yes. drink during the first half uh-huh. and we will let you know what we think in the interval. Yes, Ooh. definitely. <laughs> Bye. Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in this very special bonus episode, we are talking about the play of The Book of Dust, La Belle Sauvage, that is currently on at the Bridge Theatre in London. So if you just heard our lovely voices before our usual intro, oh my God. that was us very excitedly standing outside the theatre before we went in. And we're trying out this new thing where we record on the go, which is very new and exciting. And so we've got a couple of bits of our like in the moment reactions for you 
where we ducked out in the interval to do a little record and we stood outside the theatre afterwards to record our like very first impressions. Yeah, it was great. I felt like I was being interviewed for BBC News. Love that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was interviewing you for BBC News. (laughs) Uh, Just to say as well, I mean, you've probably guessed it, but this episode contains spoilers for uh, La Belle Sauvage, uh, The Book of Dust. It doesn't contain spoilers for his dark materials, but it does for the Book of Dust. So if you want to read that and you haven't, maybe pop back when you have. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently in the sense of, for those of you wanting to see the play at any point, because I know that they are streaming it on National Theatre at some point in February, I believe, or if you can get to it in London and you don't want to be spoiled at all, then I'd recommend not listening to this episode before until you've seen it. But we are going to split it up into two sections. So a spoiler-free section where we just talk about, you know, like the actors, the puppets, the props, etc. And then a spoiler-filled section where we talk about the different scenes and the, th- the specific things that we liked, etc. And we'll make sure that we label those sections very clearly for you so you can, you know, fuck off if, if you don't want to hear the spoilers. <laughs> yes. So it is for everybody that is super curious to know when it's going to be on National Theatre Live. It will be streamed by National Theatre Live on the 17th of February, 2022. If you go to thebookofdust.ntlive.com forward slash synopsis, that's on the like the Bridge Theatre's website. There's all the info there. So if you're keen to have absolutely no preconceptions going in, or if you've got tickets to the show and you don't want anybody to like overhype it or underhype it or anything... Just don't listen to us until after you've seen it. And then when you have seen it, it'll feel like a lovely chat. But if you're keen to just hear what we think and get some general first impressions and chit chat about the show, this is for you. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, with that, shall we get straight into it? Yeah, so we're going to kick off with like spoiler-free-ish bits where we're going to talk a little bit about what we thought of some of the staging and specifically the puppetry where we're going to try not to talk too much about any things that they've done with the plot or uh, anything too strong from the main themes of the show and then we'll let you know when we're about to get into the nitty-gritty and where we're gonna like scatter spoilers at you so (laughs) I mean first of all like I really loved the bridge theatre I've never been there before and I thought it was great and I thought that like they had you might have seen the pictures of us on social media but they had like a bow and like a backdrop where you could sit and have your photo taken they had like a little mini trout in in there as well yeah and it was just cute and then the actual theater itself is very very well laid out like there isn't like a bad seat in the house it's a very nice theater yes i'm gonna get my um a-level drama hat on and uh it's a thrust stage so it's not it's not in the round. It's around the stage has like a proscenium arch at the back, and then a thrust stage coming out. Uh, all of the seating leads down to the stage in the middle, and so it's seated on three sides of the the main area where the action is. And we were fortunate enough to be sat in that very front, like towards the front of the middle section, which is kind of the ideal place to be in a theatre like that. But what's lovely about that is people on the sides that were towards the front especially they were getting some really interesting views of the puppets I imagine so yeah one thing that we should say as well is that we were very kindly invited uh, to see the play by the Bridge Theatre's PR team so massive thank you uh, to to those people for helping make it happen 
because uh, yeah. we had a bloody great time. So thank you very much. We did. It was brilliant. And the whole atmosphere at the theatre was lovely. And we're very grateful that we got to go and see this, especially so that we can tell you all about it as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield is similar in the sense of that, like, the stage is not, it's not, like, raised. It's, like, just the floor. The only thing I'll say, compared to the Crucible, the Bridge Theatre has a, just a much better rake in terms of how close your knees are to the head of the person in front you almost feel like you could kick somebody (laughs) by accident if you're in some of the like further back rows of the bridge just because and it means that no matter how tall the person in front of you is you've got a pretty good chance of seeing what's going on which is i have like the worst look in theatres of sitting behind someone that's like six foot six. I'm like, what are you doing here? Yeah, you have that at gigs as well. There's always somebody fucking tall that comes and stands in front of you. Yeah, I don't get it. It's it's like I've got a sign on me that's like, I don't need to see things. It's fine. <laughs> um, but for this, it was we had a perfect view. It was wonderful. We did. Yeah, we did. The staging itself was really clever. So they clearly didn't have too much of an issue with um, quite often when you go to the theatre and it's a big production, there'll be signs being like, don't take any photos of the stage. They weren't in danger of that. But because before everything started, the stage is just like really plain, really. It's just everything is just black. And then a majority of the scenery that isn't physical like props the actors are using is projected and it's really cool really clever scenery and I don't know if you thought this as well having read the physical Belle Sauvage book but the illustration style in a lot of the way that they'd done the scenery matches in really beautifully with the illustrations in the books yeah 100% I don't know who did the illustrations for like the front cover of the book but I wonder if they used the same person to help with the show Rich is having a look. We've got a programme. We picked up a programme and a script and I'm so excited to like properly read the script. It's been a long time since I've read a script though, so who knows? We could act it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the designer, the theatre designer is Bob Crowley. Yeah, I reckon it's big props to the d- designer Bob Crowley and um, the lighting designer John Clark cause I imag- and the video designer Luke Halls because I imagine it was quite a collaboration between the three of them to bring together the way that that was set. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, the sound design was great as well, the way that they used sound and the way that it came from like different areas of the theatre so that at some point you were like, oh, is this in the show or is this, is this like, is this happening? Sound designer, Paul Arditi. There nice. you go. I'm just, Shout out. I'm going to be on, on it, it with the names today. <laughs> I think we could talk a little bit about the puppets, but I don't know how much detail we want to go in into this like spoiler free area i think maybe i know rich you've kind of followed the person that you know worked on the puppets on instagram for a little while so i don't know if you maybe want to talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely a lot of people kind of remember and have heard about and have seen little bits of the his dark materials stage production at the national theater and how incredible the puppets were for that and i know that russell referenced that when we interviewed him and that whenever we speak to anybody about bringing his dark materials or anything from the world of his dark materials to life they've said the biggest challenge is the demons and making demons work well and with the legacy that is the puppetry from that national theater production to like not compete with but like build off of they did some really clever things with the puppetry the puppetry designer and director is a guy called barnaby dixon find him on instagram his puppets are incredible he is re- does really innovative things with puppetry so quite often in puppetry and theater it takes for anything any animal that's a bit more complex it takes 
a couple of puppeteers to make them work. But Barnaby has some really clever mechanisms that mean that you can operate like an entire bird with one hand. Wings moving, feet moving, head moving, everything because of the really clever mechanisms that he's using. And he does some really beautiful videos on his Instagram showing a lot of the different unusual ways that he's put puppets together to do clever things where you're using less of the puppeteer to bring the puppet to life, which was very evident in this. There were some really, really clever moments of like either getting the actors to do some of their own puppeteering or having pretty much every single puppet only had one puppeteer moving it at any one time, which is incredible for like animal puppets really (laughs) really beautiful go and check them out yeah it was really really good i loved i loved the puppetry and you know just in terms of like props and stuff as well there were some really clever things that they did especially with around the boat because it's like how do you get a boat to move around a stage without it making a, a noise or not looking like it was on the water but they did a really good job of that as well in terms of like actors and stuff massive shout out to just fucking everyone really like i i particularly liked obviously we'll get on to like the main characters but i particularly really enjoyed the person who played aster uh malcolm's demon i thought they were incredible they did a really cute little meow when they were a cat so cute so cute yeah it's that amazing thing about puppeteers and when puppetry is so strong in a production is the whole point is you don't really notice the puppeteer i'm just putting it out there there's something about the costuming of the puppeteers that no matter what show you're watching pretty much all puppeteers give off like big bisexual energy it's the dungarees it's the hats i was just gonna say i loved the costumes for the demons there seems to be like a thing in theater with the way that you dress your puppeteers Either you dress them similarly to the rest of the cast and kind of blend them in as characters. I think they do that a lot in Warhorse. Um, or you dress them all in black and try and make them as inconspicuous as possible. This production did a really clever thing of all the puppeteers were wearing the same basic costume, which was really lovely dungaree overalls and a shirt and a hat. I would 100% wear that outfit. I absolutely would. That's <laughs> why I think it has big buy energy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And... It just worked really well because it felt like they were a part of the world, but not not a face character in the in the same way because there was a slight like uniformity to how they were dressed. I just think it was really really clever. I'm trying to find the name of the puppeteer that was Heather Forster. Nice, yeah, mm-hmm. they were great. I really liked them a lot. Also, this is her first professional stage appearance. Apparently, that's awesome. Like her voice was really great. I liked her voice a lot. She could do voice work 100, percent but no, uh, she was great. And they just all were, I mean, yeah, the person that plays Malcolm, who I think is called Samuel Creasy. Yes. He was great. And this was the first thing that he's ever done, right? I think. Yes. First stage show, stage production that he's ever done. And he was really, really good. He really did nail it. And also the person who played Alice was great too. She had some sass and I liked it. And we know that Alice has sass anyway, but. Yes. Ella Dacre's brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah their the interactions between them were excellent i don't think it's giving too much away to say that alice um well ella is quite short and malcolm and uh, samuel is quite tall and so despite the fact that alice is supposed to be a good few years older than malcolm they made it work amazingly <laughs> um having alice shouting at malcolm and like the way that those two characters interact with each other despite the fact that the actors had a very clear height difference in opposition to what you would expect for the age difference of the characters. It was 
my disbelief was suspended perfectly for all of the casting choices, basically. I do think two other people I want to give a particular shout out to in the acting side of things was whoever played Asriel and George Burtwright, amazing, and whoever played Bonneville was incredible. He was so good. His voice was so good. I don't know what it was about it, but he just nailed that massively. He nailed making me want to punch him in the face, that's for sure. But in that, that's a good thing. Uh, so the, the guy that played Azriel is called John Light and Pip Carter was Gerard Bonneville in this. And he did an excellent job. Yeah, excellent job. And that fucking, whoever played that hyena, my God, they did the most perfect job of that laugh and of making you like shit yourself whenever you heard it. It was so good. I don't know if you noticed as we, as we were watching, but it's the same uh, actor slash puppeteer playing the hyena and Stel Maria, Julie oh. Atherton. And I think that was a very clever decision because if you watch the show, those puppets are moved in a very similar like mechanically they're much more similar to some of the other puppets which is yeah a very clever move and I did think that because there was a point at which I was like hmm they've done a very good job of never putting Asriel and Bonneville (laughs) on stage at the same time yeah true 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 is there anything else that you want to say that's not spoilery I'm being very careful with what I say staging bloody brilliant very innovative very cool puppetry bloody brilliant (laughs) Very cool. Costuming decisions, fantastic. I guess we can get more into them because that will have some specific stuff. That's kind of it. Like atmospherically, it's beautiful. I just want to say that the first, I mean, I might have mentioned this in one of our little recordings outside the theatre, but I knew as a fan of the books, I nearly did a cry in the very first moment that there was multiple actors on stage with their demons. And it was just like, they've done it. They've done it. They've brought it to life and it feels beautiful and it feels right. And it was just really, really satisfying and really like heartwarming moment. And that is not a spoilery thing to say because just any moment that a production that involves haystack materials, that involves demons, actually pulls off demons well. And in a crowd scene, which is like, as we know from chatting to VFX designer Russell for the TV series, crowd scenes with demons are hard. Um, and so then making it physically on stage and doing it with puppets and managing to pull it off in a way that just feels like natural and right and like the audience is immediately on board with it is uh, a feat that they did very well. 100% absolutely agreed. It was great. Should we move on to the more spoilery things? Yes. Okay, so sirens, alert, alert. Don't go any further. If you don't want to be like completely spoiled for the player, do not tread any further into this spoilery territory because you will be spoiled. If you do not want to hear how the play differs from the book, stop listening now. If you've not read the book and you don't want the plot of the book spoiled, stop listening now. Stop listening 10 minutes ago. <laughs> if you're going to see the play and you don't want to know what happens, stop listening. You have been officially thoroughly warned. Okay, Faye, do you want to tell us where we are? <laughs> we are hiding in in the theatre, recording to tell you about the play because it's an interval. Mm-hmm. And I, the first thing I want to say is that 
Lyra is a real baby and I just can't because she's the cutest little thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so far my impressions are staging, very, very clever. Yes. Uh, they've used like projection for all the staging, which is incredible. Uh-huh. And then puppetry, really cool. I love the puppetry. Yeah. The demons are so fucking cute. They mm-hmm. are really, really cute and really good. And the actors that are playing the demons, well, obviously when we record the full episode, we'll find out their names and stuff, but they're really, really good. And... Asriel is good, like Coulter is good, like the fucking hyena demon. And I, do you know what? I fucking obviously, Jared Bonneville is one of my most hated characters in all oh, of yes. his dark materials. And he's amazing, the guy that plays him. But he's the fucking really worst. Good. I'm amazed at how they've managed to construct it in such a way that I un- kind of understand what's happening. Like, yeah. I was thinking, okay, so if I brought Johnny and he hadn't seen it, yeah. he's not read the books. Yeah. Would he be able to follow it? I think he would, because they've done some very clever cutting and pasting. Yeah, and, like, the thing is, for me, like, I read it a while ago and obviously can't remember anything ever, and I can barely remember anything that's happened in the books. And, like, obviously it's jogging my memory. I'm not coming in blind, Mm. but I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, and there's stuff that, like, I just can't remember at all but it seems yeah. to like I, I I understand what's going on yeah definitely we're very trying to be inconspicuous but not <laughs> yeah. inconspicuous we're trying to go outside but I really wanted to drink so here so we here are we in are. the corridor sipping wine in a corridor and beer <laughs> uh, yeah so far incredible I'm really excited for the second half I think we've hit the interval at the point I thought that we would yes yeah, um, yeah. which is like the point when the shit hits the fan basically yeah definitely and it happened in a different way than I thought it would but it was very good yeah definitely and also um, the actors that are playing Malcolm and Alice are great so good really yeah, good really yeah. great and it's just great and I'm having a really great time yeah <laughs> so good it's been a while since I've been to see like a play like a straight up play and not a musical yeah right everything we've seen recently has been musicals so mm. I'm like when are the songs coming and they're not can you imagine if it was a musical <laughs> can you imagine writing that musical Yes. Can you imagine the like horrific villain song that like Gerard Bonneville would get if it was a movie? It was a movie. It'd be like Scar, like fucking be prepared vibes. Except for I don't want that because I want to hate him and I don't want to like, yeah. love him as a villain because he's a horrible person. Do you know what it would be actually? Do you know in Hunchback and Notre Dame, do you know Frola? He gets that horrible oh, like same vibes. Yeah, yeah, same vibes, but like worse because you like because that Scar song is kind of like a bop, mm. but like that Frola song like <laughs> it's is not. It is a bop though, right? Yeah, no, be no, prepared, no, banger. Yeah. But like that Frola song's just fucking creepy and horrible. That's what you would get you would get one of those mm-hmm. but yeah definitely I'm looking forward to the second half everyone's like going back to their seats so we'll probably wrap this up now and uh, give you our thoughts after the whole thing yeah yeah so excited okay here we are so the first thing that has stuck in my mind I know, I know we're going to talk about a lot of things I know we're going to get more into like the puppetry and what they look like and all that kind of stuff the first thing, there's two things actually. Number one, baby fucking Lyra. Oh my god, the baby Lyra. So is she in the program? Because she's a real baby. So baby Lyra is a real baby, and it, I'm sure they use a different baby like on different nights. But she was the most chill fucking baby I've ever seen in my life. She didn't even make a noise when they first brought her on. I was like, God, that's a really impressive animatronic. And then I was like, uh, No, that's a real fucking baby, and it's the cutest baby I've ever fucking seen in my life. Some very clever decisions in terms of when choosing when to use real baby Lyra and when to use a doll, basically. Um, in terms of obviously keeping all interactions that real baby Lyra is having with people being incredibly calm, 
because we were both just very like, oh my God, there is genuinely a real baby on stage right now. And I, I don't think I've ever been to a theatre production where they've used a real life baby. Like I quite usually it's dealt with by puppetry, but I, there must have been an, a decision making process there where they went, no, all the demons are puppets. We're not going to have a puppet person. It needs to be real people. And we don't want a puppeteer doing like doing a human because we've already got them doing demons and that must be a decision we have to make. Whenever baby Lyra, real baby Lyra is on stage that, you know, like the lighting isn't as harsh. Like, like Rach said, the scenes are quite quiet and there's lots of holding her and just looking at how cute she is. And there's a scene where like Asriel holds her and he's like holding her up really weirdly because obviously he's a fucking bad dad and he doesn't know what the fuck to do. And he's just like holding her really strangely. And we were like, don't fucking drop her, Asriel. Don't fucking do that. The whole audience was like, don't you dare drop that baby, Asriel. <laughs> Is she in the program? I can't see anything. Maybe they wanted to keep it secret. Probably. Because there were like gasps. They were going for gasps, clearly. They were going for Simone Kirby leaving the theatre and tweeting, I want to steal that baby, which is very brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so baby Lyra is a real baby. I fucking loved that. And then the second thing that I wanted to call out, which me and Rich literally grabbed each other. We were like clawing at each other like, oh my fucking God, is that there is a pursed bang scene between Asriel and Coulter that is not in the book. Yeah, okay, so this is, we're skipping right to the end here, but this is the bit that had us the most shooketh. Yeah, I will say, so kind of a more overarching thing on that is in terms of, the adaptation, they've had to do some very clever things because if we think about Le Balsafage as a book, it is full of a lot of sections. Philip loves to do a journey where we stop in at lots of different places and lots of different things happen. And we meet lots of different characters and it gets progressively weirder. And they did a really good job of choosing what to cut to avoid having too much crazy stuff happen for us to like, if you were just taking you'd add to the theatre and you'd never read the books, you'd still want him to be able to follow along and have fun. So they had to have, make some pretty serious decisions in that regard. And then they also had to have like a big finale moment. So what they kind of went for is doing some very wise things, like having Mrs. Coulter more present and more active in the search for Lyra. We see a lot more of Mrs. Coulter than we perhaps do in the books, but in a different way. I thought the actress that played Mrs. Coulter was brilliant. The two actors that played Mrs. Coulter and Asriel made a really hot couple. Yeah, and a very cute baby, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Marissa Coulter, played by Aisha Darker, uh, has much more of a role. Coulter is there. She's like literally in the CCD boat chasing them, which is... <laughs> Excellent. I think they wanted everybody to be shooketh. And so right at the end, when we get to Azriel's house, Colt is there and they've been banging and Malcolm's like, oh my God, what are you doing here? Colt is there wearing Azriel's shirt and he's like, I think your clothes will be dry now, Marissa. And I know that he's talking about the flood, but <laughs> I was like, ha, 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 will they? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy that was sat next to us in the theatre because I was literally like... We were just like clawing at each other like... Yeah, clawing at Faye like, oh my God, I can't believe they've done this. I mean, I think they knew. So the adaption, Bryony Lavery or Bryony Lavery, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, uh, is the person that has adapted the book to a script for and adapted it for the theatre. And so I think she just went, you know what? 
I'm a massive fan of these books and I wish there were more Coulter and Azriel post bang scenes. So I'm going to put one in. <laughs> and she really did as a fucking solid there, didn't she? Because like, I fucking loved that bit. It was so fucking good. It was so great. Yeah, I kind of like blurted out the two things that stuck out mainly. But is there anything now we're in the spoiler filled section? Elsa, you particularly want to say about the puppetry uh, because it was fucking amazing and the way that they did it um, was really fucking great and they were just all incredibly cute and just the way that they were acted as well like the puppeteers were incredible like there was always something going on with the demons when like the actors were talking to each other and the demons were always doing something there was never like a moment where they weren't which I thought was really incredible. They did a really great job, I, th- I felt, with the transitions for especially the children's demons changing. So Aster would change from a bird to a cat and they managed to like weave that in quite well, I thought, in terms of like cleverly hiding puppets in different places to have those transitions happen. And gosh, that must have taken a lot of practice of like literally just holding from putting one puppet down to picking another one up and it just being alive straight away yeah and there's like a lovely noise that that they played that accompanied that which i really liked aesthetically the puppets were beautiful i thought you can tell that barnaby is very into the mechanics of how puppets work and kind of wanted to use a lot of that as a feature in the puppets and by keeping them very simple so a lot of them it's kind of like wire framework it's a lot of skeletal framework of the puppets and a lot of um it's mostly like i assume white paper or white tissue and then they're lit from within with a light which is beautiful because that was used really effectively in terms of lighting the whole production of like everybody with a demon had like a little light with them at all times that was their demon there's a great bit um with the nuns of holy obedience where they must have classic, classic magisterium style. A lot of them must have bug demons because they did a very clever thing of just putting little LED lights on their heads. And so you didn't have to have the puppet demons. It was like 10 less people that needed whole ass puppets because you'd just be like, it's just a bug. They've got, it's a fly and it's on their head. And then that, that really beautiful like nun hats that they were wearing just like lit up from within. And it was very cool. Some very clever uses of when to have a puppet and when to just put the budget elsewhere <laughs> i think like my, i think my favorite puppet in the whole production was the hyena i fucking loved that hyena it was so good the way that it moved the the way that the puppeteer moved it the way that its face looked the laugh like everything about it was incredible and it was so big as well like i think it, i was shocked at how big it was compared to the I think they did a clever thing there. Like for the rest of the demons we'd seen before we see Bonneville and his his hyena, they'd all been quite small. And then this like massive hyena comes out and you're like, oh. Yeah, definitely. The way that they have choreographed uh, a lot of the scenes with the demons, for example, in the house where Malcolm and Alice have taken shelter in the house, the man with the shotgun's guarding it and Bonneville comes in and there's an altercation there. And all of a sudden you're busy focusing on the humans and you look up and realise that the hyena's standing on the dining table. And you're like, how did they get up there? Like, I just didn't see it happen. But all of a sudden this whole scene with the demons is happening because there's this whole separate altercation and like two sets of choreography going on. And it was just really very, very cleverly done. I think my favourite puppet is, it's a very obvious choice for me, it was definitely Cat Aster. Because the 
emphasis and the acting that she that the puppeteer was able to do with the cat paws. This cat is so expressive with her paws and like I am a gesticulator. You can't tell because we do a podcast, but Faye is constantly seeing me waving my arms around while I'm talking at her. So having a cat puppet gesticulating while she's talking literally broke my heart with the cuteness of it. And the little, yeah, the little meow that she did occasionally just killed me. Killed me off. I was dead. <laughs> yeah, very, very cute. Yeah, that was my second favourite, definitely. Also, um, we didn't get the hyena pissing in the fucking street scene, did we? They did some very clever cutting of some of the more traumatic moments, I will say. If we dig into Bonneville as a character generally, because what I'm realising now is we're discussing the Book of Dust. We're discussing the Belle Sauvage right now, having never really spoken to each other on the podcast about it very true because i only finished reading it last year it took me ages to get through it and i know that faye went and had a lovely crossover episode with girls gone canon and has expressed her feelings about bell savage and secret commonwealth or was it just secret commonwealth it was secret commonwealth but obviously the bell the bell savage came in it, into it a little bit we talked a lot about alice's trauma with bonneville because that obviously comes up more in the secret commonwealth it's really interesting that the first time that we're digging into these characters on the podcast is while discussing an adaptation of the characters as opposed to them from the page as we read them without having to force the audience to witness anything too traumatic they managed to very clearly let us know that Bonneville is a creep and cannot be trusted. A lot of it through the scripting, a lot of it through just the way he was acted. It was very well done because I was uh, very concerned about the graveyard scene. I was not looking forward to that scene. And they managed to do it in such a way where it made a lot. It made sense. They didn't go too far. I was just so scared that they were going to go too far, you know? <laughs> and they dealt with it very well. The one thing I will say, the graveyard scene did not involve one of, the most dramatic moments of the books in that Malcolm did not have to separate from Aster in order to save Alex. So what happens if they adapt the next book? Intriguing. Very intriguing, actually. Yeah, I was thinking that. They probably weren't thinking that they would ever do The Secret Commonwealth because it would be a completely different production, probably adapted by somebody else because The the Belle Sauvage is a very specific book where they would have got a lot of people involved in it to deal with the things like how do you have a player that's in a, in a flood for like most of it and you know, stuff like that. So The Secret Commonwealth would be a very different show. Yeah, definitely. It does also stand alone as a book in terms of in the timeline of the his dark materials world it is separated it is a prequel so it does have its own standalone elements and you can probably get away with retconning stuff if it happened 20 or 30 years ago according to the book so i think that works shall we have a chat about the pub in general because all the pub scenes made me very happy partly because we got to see so many people's demons partly because malcolm's mum was amazingly cast mrs polstead was wonderful her badger demon was one of my favourite puppets. He was very well done, very grumpy, just like perfect. Holly Atkins played Mrs. Polstead and yeah, just wonderful. They did some really great choices with the casting because one person will play multiple characters. So Holly Atkins was Mrs. Polstead, but also Sister Maria Therese and The Witch, which is another part that they changed. A lot of people were some demons and also some characters which i thought was great because training all of your actors to use the puppets and know what they're doing probably makes everything so much more cohesive definitely also a shout out to hannah ralph great loved her she was great i just love hannah ralph in general managing to convey the convoluted plot that is malcolm 
overhearing the conversation in the pub to finding the acorn to finding Hannah, they managed to do that in such a way that felt really, okay, I know what's going on now. I'm on board with this. Like it didn't take too much of a stretch of the imagination to be like, yep, she's using the alethiometer to find him and knows about the acorn and this, that, and the other. Because in the books, there's so much time spent with that and they had to rattle through it because it's not going to work well on stage. And they did that really, really well. If I remember, because it's obviously been a long time since I read La Belle Sauvage and I forget everything instantly, but I do remember having like a gut feeling when I was watching the play that the the relationship between Malcolm and Hannah is built up so much more over a longer period of time in the book than it was in the play. Yeah, and then they kind of downplayed the relationship just a little bit in the play so that it didn't seem weird that they were so close. Like, they didn't appear to be as close as they are in the books in a lot of ways because they've not had time to build that relationship. Um, Hannah Ralph is played by Naomi Frederick and she did an excellent job. And her costume, I want those trousers. Yes, she She looked looked great. great. She was like very like chic scholar. She was flouting all of the things that Phil says in The Northern Lights about Lyra's opinions on the female scholars being frumpy. They are not. Her outfit choices were beautiful and very well done in terms of she was very like cozy academia stylish and then mrs coulter's costuming was very like sleek forgive me for i'm about to say these words like sexy tory you know what i mean (laughs) oh my god yes 100 percent. yeah like very wearing a pencil skirt and like a tailored situation but it gave off big tory energy that was not as fun (laughs) isn't that just what coulter is a sexy tory Oh, if God, you distill no. it down, she's just a sexy Tory. <laughs> yeah, um, Coulter's outfit was classic Coulter. It's like, what exactly? And that's how you know it's good costume designing. Because it, it was just, as soon as you saw it, it was like, oh yeah, classic Coulter. 100%. She had some power shoulders in that suit. She did. It was, she did. Yes, yes. She loved a coat without a sleeve as well. The monkey demon was very clever. The way that they put the eyes. I think the monkey demon was the only one that had like, specifically had two lights in its head in order to have like glowing eyes to make it intimidating and that was really well done and yeah very nicely puppeteered and I think a different kind of monkey to the one that we see in the tv series more similar to the film more of like a we're both doing hand movements here it had like a frill of fur around its face and I want to say more like a golden tamarind monkey maybe I mean, I don't know types of monkeys, I'm afraid. Yeah, more like a golden tamarind. But I think that's the kind of monkey that they went for in the Golden Compass film as well, where he's got more more of like a ginger mane going on. Do you know what I um just this is just random. And again, these are kind of this is kind of like our TV show episodes where we just say whatever we want and there's like barely any structure. But something that just popped into my head, which I think is true in the book as well, right? That like you are kind of endeared to Azriel in the book of dust because like he's really nice to malcolm he takes his boat but he fixes it up and he helps him is that in the book as well because like obviously in the play he's very nice to him but also not because in the play he pulls his classic move that he pulls on lyra in the retiring room where he basically oh, threatens to break his arm oh fuck i and forgot so about in the that play i think he's quite he's almost more violent because i think in the book he doesn't do that that's not like me to not to forget that, is it? Yeah. And also, actually, God, just to eradicate everything I just said, but like, isn't there a bit at the end where like he doesn't try to take Lyra or they're mad that he doesn't want Lyra or something like that? They're like, she's your fucking kid. I can't remember. There's something, there's some, obviously we know he's a bad dad. Uh, we know that. But he does show, apart from when he tries to fucking break Malcolm's arm, uh, we do see him show much more like, 
I suppose, love towards Malcolm than he ever does towards Lyra. Yeah, I think there is much more of a coldness about him in the play than there was in the book. In the book, I think Malcolm, again, we get that rose-tinted glasses of a kid that thinks, oh my God, an amazing explorer. He's so cool. We get more of that than we do in in the book than we do in the play because in the play we can see him for what he is which is quite abrasive and frankly quite rude and violent because i if if i remember correctly in the book asriel persuades malcolm to take him to get lyra and he only gets sister Fenella to bring out lyra and it's like a very secret very intimate moment of like asriel taking lyra around the garden and in the play asriel basically threatens the nuns and is like i'm going to break malcolm if you do not give me this baby if you do not let me look at this baby and meet my daughter. And it's much more violent. It's much more of an altercation. I don't know why. This is just so not like me. But like my, I think I found the act of him, you know, borrowing the bird and then sending it back. And it's been all like spruced up and leaving that note, which is a really nice note. That's like Malcolm, like, here's your bird back. Thank you so much. If you ever need anything at all, like come and find me. And then that's just eradicated. Everything else is done. I feel like I'm you when you were younger. We've like swapped positions here. I don't know what's happened. (laughs) Yeah. I think at some point in the play, because I remember elbowing you, somebody is literally just either he says, I'm not a good dad or I'm a bad dad or somebody else says he is. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's definitely sad. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There are two things that I wanted to bring up about the production, which made me laugh out loud, but I also loved. And they were both involved two tiny vehicles and one was like when they were um trying to show how bad like the flood was and like they were getting alice and malcolm from a to b basically from where i think it was from the the mansion with the shotgun down to wherever asriel was from oxford to london basically the like last leg they like did a really clever thing where they pulled the full-size boat off stage and then this little like tiny tiny little boat with like two figures in it came down from the like ceiling of the stage because the stage is really set back like I was actually really surprised I thought that was a really good bit of production where like you think it ends but then you see like the nuns walking down it and you're like wow this stage actually goes really far back yeah some really clever optical illusions with the way that they raked the stage yeah 100% and like this little boat just comes down and it like it weathers the storm and it looks really cute and then there's a bit they must have been going for laughs with those bits especially with the gyrocopter because there's a bit where they all ride in Asriel's gyrocopter and there's like a tiny little helicopter that like goes across the stage it's just funny right that was funny yeah it was there was very little moments of like heartwarming theater magic where it's like you could I mean obviously you could only get away with it in the theater but you could only get away with it in the theater and it was like kind of like little moments of like bright light relief as well in terms of like oh what a clever little thing they've done and like just yeah lovely I have to say that I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it i was i loved the book i loved it but i do think it could have very easily been adapted in a really dry way if that makes sense it could have been more focused on the you know the ccd magisterium aspect of it than it was on malcolm and alice and the book is very focused on malcolm and alice but the play could have been adapted in a different way. And I'm glad that they just decided to stick with the driving thing behind that particular book, which is 100% the characters of Malcolm and Alice. They are the most important things that happen in that book. To the point where I was saying to Rich before we went in, like the only things that I can remember about the book, I didn't even remember Mrs. Coulter being in it. I didn't even remember Asriel being in it. I just remembered the relationship between Malcolm and Alice and their journey and how that grows, because that's what really what stuck with me. 
So I'm glad that they like kept that as well. No, absolutely. And I think there's stuff that they got away with in the TV series in terms of bringing those dry magisterium moments that they couldn't have done on stage. And a massive part of, I think, of what made any of the moments that should have been more dry, like having to explain what dust is or having to explain a lot of the, our favourite word, a lot of the exposition that needed doing in order to bring us into the world and make us know what was going on, was done in ways that was just about right, like didn't feel too on the nose. And then having such dynamic staging around you and having the demons always doing something and having that always be something visually to look at and take in whilst you are receiving some of the drier information really, really helps to kind of keep everything rolling and keep the pace. Yep, definitely. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in the in the spoilery section? I mean, I guess some of the stuff that may be worth mentioning in terms of the adaptation is some of the scenes they chose not to do and why we think that was wise. For example, the strange fairy that tries to breastfeed Lyra on the hill that they find after I can't I can't remember if it's after the graveyard or after the mansion that they that that, that happens in the book they cut that and instead they brought in a witch which I think was very wise because it clued us into why Lyra is an important child we got the prophecy that we don't get until towards the end of northern lights given to us by a witch instead of this weird fairy moment which was very you know it's very secret commonwealth and clues into stuff for the books but for the theater production that nod back to the original trilogy that nod back to why we love lyra and why lyra is so important i think was a really clever way of having that like slightly more magical element by bringing in the witches and like ditching the fairy um or i don't know if she is she a fairy is she like a wood nymph, a, a river spirit, something like that, I think. I can't remember. So it's a point in the book that if she breastfeeds Lyra, then Lyra will be like tied to her forever, something like that. And that's why they have to go and get her. Like, that's why Malcolm has to separate. No, because he separates from his demon child, Alice, doesn't he? Yeah, there's something to do with they can't let her breastfeed Lyra, right? She's basically trying to be a bit creepy, I think, and trying to steal this baby. And they realise that something sinister is going on and they're like so thanks for your hospitality we've got to go now bye yeah yeah. (laughs) which makes it such a weird little interaction and then there's the weird i'm gonna call it dreamland party scene that phil's written where bonneville is kind of is he dead is he still chasing them there's this like unusual candle lit fairy lit party in a space that feels like this really weird like liminal space of like are they dreaming are they dead where are they running through right now? It's not Oxford. It's not London. It's who knows where. And they made the very wise decision of cutting that because it's confusing AF in the book. And trying to put that on stage would have made no sense. They did some very clever, this is what you need to know. They have to get from A to Z, but we might just cut out LMNOP because that's a little bit too much to try and throw into a stage show. We don't want people to fall asleep. We're just going to throw in an exclamation mark instead just to fill the gap and it's like that made a lot of sense it was like i know we've already kind of talked about it but it was a very interesting choice to cut the scene with malcolm separating from his demon because that is very important but i suppose in the way that they've adapted the play it would it wouldn't have added that much other than a bit more emotional depth to malcolm and Aster, which we didn't particularly need at the end because it was ending anyway and it's not like you know that comes into it in the secret commonwealth and things like that and it's like well if 
you know, this is just a standalone play, so we don't really need it. Like, if it happened at the beginning and then was a story, like a plot point throughout, then fair. Because it's a thing that happens at the end with an intention in the books, you know, to use it in the next book. It doesn't really make sense. I think it also would have meant having to explain on stage as another part of exposition that people can't go too far from their demons and why they can't. And then within the confines of the stage working out what that distance is and having to make the actors remember that at all times with their stage blocking, having to have all the puppets on stage all the time and not being able to have, for example, the really great moment when Bonneville is in the pub and Alice is like, where's your demon? And the hyena is just outside the room. And it's like, she's not cluing in, oh my God, it's weird that he doesn't have a demon or oh my God, it's weird that he's far away from his demon. She's getting weird vibes off him anyway. And then the demon is the hyena and it's such a great impactful moment when she's revealed that if we then had to go in and explain and talk about the limits of the boundaries between people and their demons and like that tether and then have to explain that that it's painful and that you can cut the tether and all the things with severed children that you get in the first trilogy. That would be so much additional stuff to try and fit into a play that we're trying to just get people to watch. <laughs> I think it makes a lot made a lot of sense to kind of cut that in terms of what you'd have to explain in order to give the moment the impact it deserves, if that makes sense. So just having Malcolm do a little murder instead, much better. <laughs> that was a great moment though. They did some very clever staging with making the hyena demon turn into confetti, which I thought was great. That was really great. Yeah. I was really impressed like with the entire production and I wondered going in whether I would be or not, you know, like as a fan of the book, as a fan of Philip's writing anyway. It's like there's two sides to Philip's writing with me. He writes characters amazingly and the other stuff that I've already mentioned about the drier stuff that I'm not that into i'm so glad that they didn't utilize that more and that they kept it very character driven there's a lot of intricacies in the way that phil puts together his like network of characters as well it makes a lot of sense in the books and you could probably draw it all out as a web how everybody's interconnected but again on stage being able to just put people here and be like this person we saw him two scenes ago it's the same guy and we're gonna just kind of cutting out some of the intricacies in order to make a cohesive plot I think was very clever yeah I wonder whether so it was a uh, Bryony who adapted it right I wonder whether it was quite freeing for her to be like oh like you mentioned with all the ties to you know the original trilogy most people that are reading the book of dust uh, La Belle Sauvage are going into it having already read the original trilogy so they know all those ties between these characters and it's a it's it's good it's like ooh, when like mrs coulter shows up or when asriel shows up or whatever but i wonder whether that was quite freeing for her to be like well i don't really need to do any of that because there will be obviously a lot of people that are coming to see it that have you know read his dark materials but also it's a play and a lot of people will be going to see it because you know it's got good reviews blah 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 so i wonder if that was um like a good thing for her and whether she found it quite freeing to do that yeah, I absolutely would love to pick her brains on the process that is taking a book that is this thick and turning it into a play that is this thick. This is a podcast and you cannot see what I'm doing. The book is a good two inches thick, I reckon. This play is about a centimetre, I reckon. Just mixing my metric with my uh, imperial there. But the amount that you have to whittle down, obviously we've not got the descriptions in there. There's only stage directions and dialogue but the amount of plot, the amount of stuff that you have to condense down into that time frame, the challenge that must be taking a big thick book like that with 
all of the plot devices that Phil has, with all of the world building that he is already sitting on top of because he's written one trilogy and this other trilogy is sitting on its shoulders. And so there's a lot of prior knowledge that is re-explained to you, but there's a certain level of expectation that you know, understand going in and being like, this is a play. Someone might just want to come and see it because they saw the puppets on the poster and they thought it looked cool. Someone might just be coming because they like to support their local theatre and they might not have actually read the books. They still need to know what's happening. And that must be such a massive challenge. Massively, yeah. I don't really have, genuinely don't really have like much, like any real criticism for it. You know, like I did think to myself like, oh, you know, maybe I'm quite upset that they didn't have that scene with Malcolm and Asta, but now we've talked it out. I completely see why they didn't. And, you know, stuff like that. It's like, well, you see the motivation behind the choices that they made. And I just think it was really great. It was just just cut everything else and just have this episode just as being like, it was really great. (laughs) No, I absolutely agree. I don't think I've got any criticisms. I was genuinely concerned going in. I was like, you know what? I've not been to the theatre in a while. There's been a massive pandemic. And even before that, I feel like the things that I was going to see mostly were musicals. I mean, we have seen two musicals very recently. Exactly. And so I was like, can I do a play? Yeah, I was the same. Yeah, well, going into a play as well, like sometimes, you know, it could be no shade to the mousetrap. It could be the mousetrap, which is like a very long running, quite dry Agatha Christie murder mystery thing. And again, very one-to-one staging in terms of, oh, we need to have a sofa in this room just put an actual sofa in this room like I think it's quite an intricate set but it's also very much we've just put real life on the stage like it is a one-to-one comparison whereas going to something like this even though yeah you've not got a big musical number you don't need it the music design and the sound design in the in this play was brilliant and then just how dynamic everything was and always having something going on with the puppets with the lighting with the scenery meant that there was never a chance to get bored. Also because they've packed so much plot in, so much story, so much character-like intermingling and intermingling. Um, <laughs> I'm just talking about culture and Azrael again. It's fine. That they've packed in so much stuff there that you genuinely don't have a chance to get bored. If any, if you get bored and like stop paying attention, you probably will fall behind. So don't do that if you plan on going to see it. <laughs> do you have anything else to say? Aside from applauding everybody once again, re-mentioning how brilliant I thought everybody was, I have to do a shout out to the directors, of course, because these things don't happen without them. So the directors, Nicholas Hinter, Emily Burns and James Cousins... Yes, absolutely brilliant. Just genuinely one of the best things I've seen in a really long time. Go and see it. It is running until February or March, I think. I was gonna. That's the only other thing I was going to do is check the run dates. Hopefully it'll get extended or be able to go to other places. But yeah, currently it's running, I think, in February. Yeah, I think it's running up until the 26th of February. And the National Theatre Live is on the 17th of February. Put those notes in your diary. If you've listened to this and thought, oh my gosh, those two rambled on about this thing for a really long time and it sounds great. I'd love to see it. Yeah, definitely check out the National Theatre Live performance that will be streamed. Sometimes small cinemas will show these. If that if you live near a cinema that does National Theatre Live screenings, definitely. I would, I would love to see it on the big screen in part because I think you'll get a really great close look up at the puppets. That's very true. And my eyesight, despite only being on the fourth row... I was squinting to see the puppets just because I have terrible eyesight. So <laughs> I would love to see them up close. Yeah, grab your tickets. Is the Bridge Theatre up until, didn't say the 26th of February? 
And we really hope that he gets renewed and sent on a tour because it's so brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have just got out of the theatre. We are standing kind of by the stage door through a kind of sheer accident. If this <laughs> happens to be a space where it's not too windy. Yeah. So, if we sound distracted, it's because we're watching the actors who just saw in the play come out of the stage door. And I'm like, and oh we're my God, it's Malcolm. Very hard not to be those people that run after somebody with a microphone like an absolute psychopath. Yes. So, yes, that shan't be us. That shan't be it us. Shan't. Um, basically, oh my God. <laughs> It was so good. It was yeah. really, really good. Um, I think, like, kind of better than I expected because I think that I was worried that it was going to be too much. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they really did a good job of, like, distilling it down into, like, what you needed to know kind of vibes. Yeah, so I was there thinking, oh, my God, a lot is happening. Like, every single scene is a different scene. OMG. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but... I was thinking, oh my god, every different season. But when looking at the book, there was so much that they had to skillfully cut out yeah. and switch out and change in order to make it make sense within how, how long we were in there. It started at half past seven. Uh, it was a half hour interval. What time I think it was like now? two hours, 15 minutes, including the interval. So it was like two and a half hours. Yeah, that's like a short ass yeah. time to pack this into. Yeah. Which is incredible. And they even added some scenes, which left me and Rich literally grabbing each other in the theatre. <laughs> we'll talk about yes so, in the main episode <laughs> we're definitely gonna have to do the episode half spoiler free and half spoiler filled yeah, because I'm, my god my world has been rocked i will just say that i use the phrase pursed bang so make of that what you will <laughs> and not in not in a horrible context but yeah it was yeah. it was really really fucking good like everyone was great in it we're gonna record tomorrow this doesn't mean anything to people listening but i, I need to like sleep on my thoughts and see how I feel about it but I don't really have anything like I don't really have many critiques at the, at the minute what I will say is literally within the first five minutes of the show itself I nearly had a little cry because all the demons were so beautiful and then just there was a moment when it's fair to it's fair to say it's not a spoiler just at a certain point there is a crowded pub and every single person has a demon and it's beautifully yeah. like executed yeah. and I nearly had like a little cry just because I was so happy that they did it so well yes they did do the demons very yes. well 100%. and then there was like a few moments at the end where they like really leaned on the demons for stuff and it was really yeah, great yeah it, so, it was so beautiful and I know I mentioned it before but Lyra being a real baby that baby is the most well behaved baby I've ever seen in my entire oh my God, life it was the same baby throughout as well they didn't just baby. get like similar looking babies and interchange <laughs> and they were just such a quiet little baby and it, I love babies and it was just so great how shooketh would you be if you found out later that they I don't know got like an animatronic baby and it wasn't actually real because that baby was so real <laughs> it was definitely real at first I was like is this like a fucking twilight renesmee moment and then I was like no 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 it's a real no, baby no. <laughs> yes in essence bloody brilliant yeah. definitely go see it yeah it is worth it for the puppetry alone yes. because i'm puppet obsessed and they're brilliant absolutely and uh just absolutely yeah really well put together because that is a, is a long ass book with some weird ass moments definitely and yeah big thank you to the pr team at bridge theater for inviting us because yeah. we had a bloody great time yes oh, we did so good. yay yes so great really beautiful atmosphere the theater itself is i have to say one of the best theaters i've been to for having a pretty good view no matter where you're sitting literally as soon as you sat down Just... i said to you because i'm this is the first time i've been to the bridge theater and as soon as you sat down i was like this is everywhere you sit must be a really good view yeah. like there's no bad seats like i was very impressed 
Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And also look out on Instagram because we got a really cute picture of us in the Yes, <laughs> thank you to the man who we took a uh, picture of him, for him in order that he would take a picture of us. Special like, shout out to you, like, Frank. Yeah, exactly. And we went behind the boat to like, stand behind it. It was like, no, 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 girls, get in the boat. We were like, okay. And that is how you have the lovely photo of us in a boat. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, just closing it on. It's fantastic. This show, we're going to finish up the show, the episode by telling you all the dates that it's on. On. Yes. I really, really hope for them that they get it renewed for like a run in other theatres throughout London yeah. or a tour because that would be phenomenal. As yeah. many people as can see, this would be great. 100%. Because as we know, with the His Dark Materials play that was on at the National Theatre, that was like quite a limited run, it's become notorious and legendary. And I do hope <laughs> yeah. that this gets the same status yeah. because like, yeah. it, that was phenomenal. Right now, it's like half ten. I've had three wines. We just had three beers, and we're just very yes. excited about the play. <laughs> Just to remind you that after this episode, uh, we are on a little break until the 24th of January, where we'll be back with vodka. It's just so that we can have a little rest time uh, in between Christmas and New Year, etc. But we'll be back with you on the 24th. So look out for vodka then. Yeah. And not just any old vodka. Vodka, the book chapter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> chapter eight of the Amber Spyglass vodka. We'll be back with vodka. And also we'll talk about the chapter vodka. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Perth Bang, Asriel and Coulter, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about Malcolm and Asta, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and an extra big thanks to the team at the Bridge Theatre for inviting us to see the show. Hell yeah. We'll see you on the 24th of January and don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Tickets and watch this play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Le Bel Sausage. Le Bel Sausage.